Welcome back to another episode of That Escalated Quickly, a resilience podcast brought to you by Escalate Consulting. And today, Trent and I are going to be talking to you about smoldering Smoldering crisis. Crises or crisis? I don't know. Crisis. Is it a crisis or a crisis? Can you have more than one as a crisis? True. Who knows? A smoldering crisis or smoldering crises? Because I think there's a lot in this and I'm not sure that it's even a really well-defined what a smoldering crisis actually is. No, and you sort of cast your mind back to the events that have happened. Like, you know, go back to Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. Yeah. Suddenly we're told that all our data is being sold and utilised and harvested and all of those crazy things that went with that. Mm. But, um, yeah, the, the smoldering crisis, like, it can absolutely happen to anybody. And I think what's really quite scary about it is um, that, you know, crisis events that happen here and now that we only just find out about at the same time as everybody else can be a lot easier to digest because everybody is learning the same information at the same time and it's it's evolving really quickly. But with a smoldering crisis, particularly if you're a consumer or a customer, the, the issue is really, well, how long have you known about this? And if you didn't know about it, why didn't you know about this? Often, often when we hear about these events come in and go, oh, I've heard about that or I knew that or I, I saw something, you know, in, in that aspect. So you're, we may be missing the warning signs. Um, probably going back to some of our smoldering crises as we see there, we, we hear of organisations that perhaps miss the, the key markers or the triggers or someone knew a piece of information and multiple people knew various components but had never joined together. Which is absolutely the, the issue with, um, and I think this is this is true of a lot of organisations that we work with, is, is a lot of information is just kept in silos. So even, and particularly, I come back to, you know, cyber cyber security or cyber response often quite siloed in, in just being managed initially by the, the information technology team or the cybersecurity team, whoever it might be. And it's actually, the, the issue lies in how it gets pushed up and out of those particular teams to be able to, to, to be dealt with at a crisis level and, and, and coordinated at that strategic level as well is really important for a smoldering crisis. But, but I think it goes before that to, to how they happen. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what have hap- what has, what events have happened? Um, what's the motivation? Why is it, is it an external influence? You know, is it someone that's, we were constantly getting bad reviews mm-hmm. on, on Google or Yelp or whatever that, that, you know, TripAdvisor. So we can start to be given that information, but those negative reviews might compound and compound. We do nothing. And that can result in, in a failure of a business mm-hmm. that in essence is a smoldering crisis, which has gone unchecked and led to the downfall of that organization. Um, other ones where you have, you know, the insider threat who's trying to, you know, fabricate results or, you know, the Volkswagen issue from many years ago or pan pharmaceuticals where, you know, falsifying records or medical records to get pharmaceutical drugs put on the market or put on the shelf to commercialize and monetize that. So I think that's more dangerous from an organization. And, and from a timeline perspective, it's really hard. I mean, a smoldering crisis could be smoldering away for weeks, months, or even years before it even comes to the, the, um, 
the attention. Absolutely. Of absolutely. And like, how does it become known? Is it a whistleblower? You know, is it that insider person that, that knew about this who did nothing, who just sat idly by, who suddenly goes, "No, I'm going to," or is it an investigative journalist, or is it? In the case of Altwagon, a university student who uncovers this. So, you know, how it becomes publicly known, you know, is it leaking documents through WikiLeaks or um, if it's written down, it can be found. Um, it's crazy. So how, as, as crisis management consultants, how do we actually work to prepare organisations for smouldering crises, you know? We're... I think generally people and, and organizations are really good at recognizing things that's happening, things that are happening now that they can suddenly, you know, touch, see, feel, hear, whatever that might be. But a good crisis management response needs to take into account that there may be things bubbling away under the surface that aren't necessarily visible immediately. And how do they actually get, get to the attention of, of who needs to know? Well, it comes back to your foundation documentation, mm. you, you know, your risk management. Have you identified all your potential risks? You know, are you monitoring them? Have you got controls in place? Are those controls effective? Are you monitoring the effectiveness? You know, tying that all in nicely together, but then it's being prepared for when something does happen. Um, you know, are you doing internal audits, you know, against your mechanisms and controls? We, we see, you know, so many events occur due to human error which is one aspect, but, you know, how do you sell it to your customers that, yes, we've had a small known crisis. Yes, there was an event that happened over the past 12 or 18 months or longer. Um, yes, we knew it. We didn't really recognize it. We didn't. Didn't recognize it as a had, crisis. As a crisis. We didn't put the pieces of the puzzle together um, until, you know, journalist A comes in and, and does an expose um, or, you know, an employer goes to a regulator and says, ABC. But I think also not recognising that it's a crisis is a really good point because, again, coming back to those foundation documents, in that, in that documentation, as part of a crisis response, you need to have or you should have in there something about, you know, at what point does this trigger a crisis for the organisation? And that threshold, that trigger, whatever it looks like, should be reviewed consistently against your strategic objectives. But it's almost, it's almost being able to say back to stakeholders and customers and whoever else needs to know, well, we knew about this event or we knew about this particular thing happening. It didn't meet the threshold for us to call a crisis in accordance with our crisis management response or crisis management plan. That is why we didn't. So that reassurance back that, you know, you have these processes and these controls in place that doesn't mean you're going to call a crisis every time something happens. But and we've we've developed and and we've both facilitated smouldering crisis exercises that slow burn activity. We drip feed in information leading up to that exercise yeah. to various parts of the business, and this is when they're aware that there's an exercise coming. They still fail to join the dots. This is in preparation and with forewarning of a simulation coming. And it isn't until we get in the room and they see us and they go, "Oh, okay, exercise start." Let's bring it together. Oh, oh, that's what that information means that I was provided. You know, it's the light bulb moment that they join it all together and go, oh, this is bad. So what we're oh. trying to, what we're really aiming to do as, as practitioners in this space is, is build the capability of the organization to take action before it's too late. 
join the dot. Well, if if you were talking about exercising in crisis management teams, degree of difficulty in terms of the scenario, a, a smouldering crisis degree of difficulty, you know, is seven, eight, nine out of ten. Mm. It's not easy, and that's the the really real the big reality because it suddenly becomes public or it's suddenly known. And then there's a vast amount of information flooding. It's often significant reputational damage. And it takes a lot of work and effort to get ahead of that. We always talk about activating early and getting ahead of a crisis. You are absolutely chasing your tail with these sort of events. So how do we respond to a smoldering crisis? You know, reputational damage. Look at the impacts. You know, we might be... You know, lead stories on media, news channels, social media. We might be impacting tens or hundreds or thousands of customers. Um, that Those communication channels, you know, we know that communications are so important, particularly when it's reputational. Mm. You've got a lot of stakeholder channels that you need to manage. Um, pre-identification of those, having pre, pre-approved messaging that might be 90 or 80% of the way complete, uh, because again, by crisis, we don't know what the next crisis will be, mm. but we can certainly have an idea of what that that plan should look like, or some agreed, you know, channels and notes and talking points, agreed talking points, and making sure that whatever your communication strategy is, it's aligned to your crisis management response overall. You you can't afford to have again a siloed response process to to managing a, an event. So one of the things I always talk to, to people about in particular crisis is, is putting that lens over it around the, the victim or culprit. Um, it's a much easier sell um, if we're the victim of a natural disaster, a widespread event, a pandemic, um, because everybody's in the same boat. Every organization, all your competitors, all your neighbors, your whole suburb or city or whatever it is, is impacted by the same outage, the same disruptor. COVID had a lifespan. You know, organizations that, yes, we all had disruptions. We all had to move to remote working and, you know, had to upscale. Deal with staff absenteeism and. Staff absenteeism, all of these things. But that had a lifespan. You know, if people couldn't get their stuff in order after about two or three months, people like, oh, really? Come Mm. on, you've had a bit of time now. Organization A can do it. Organization B can do it. Why can't you? Um, Where we find the, the. culprit event is your competitors aren't impacted by the same event they might be poking fun of you we've seen some absolutely amazing you know the the one that strikes mine is a kfc chicken outage yeah in the uk like they owned that they absolutely owned it and took out major media coverage in the mainstream media newspaper yep and and owned it um but they also had competitors poking, you know, fun at them, you know. And depending on your brand, you can do that. Um, some brands are a little bit more lighthearted. Others are not. You know, corporate end of town is, you know, you're just putting a poster on your back, you know, to be targeted if, you, you know, you want to start poking fun at others. And I'd never, you know, encourage that. But, um, yeah, certainly the, 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 vic- the corporate lens, much more difficult sell. You've really got to have your ducks in a row. Be really thoughtful of how you approach your communications um, and have a really mature and well-rehearsed well, well rehearsed plan. Because I think with those 
with those particular ones that you're talking about too, the tale of the crisis isn't necessarily clear or in terms of what it actually looks like or time frame because often often what you see out of these smoldering events that suddenly come to 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 public's attention somehow is that um there's a secondary or tertiary crisis that wasn't related at all to the to the initial event that happened that was covered up or not dealt with properly or due process wasn't followed or it didn't necessarily escalate as 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 quickly as 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 people and you think of the different industries, the regulators, the oversight from government bodies, mm-hmm. um, depending on what that is, there could be significant legal implications, mm. criminal proceedings or, you know, civil litigation. That can take years. Depending on the class action or, you know, if it gets really significant, that can drag on considerably both at a cost yep. to the organisation, both distracting but continually bringing that up in the media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got multiple class actions or you know, trying to settle those events, you know, that's going to cost money. Um, that just continually picks away and that's going to burn your team out as well. You know, the the effort that goes into dealing with a crisis, we've seen that. We've we've seen firsthand, and I know, Brian, you, you've definitely been there. Um, it's hard. It's really hard. And it's those difficult questions then that you, you sort of have to make as an organisation as to, you know, at what point does it stop becoming a crisis? At what point do you bring in alternate people? At what point do you bring in additional resources? And at what cost to the, to business as usual does that occur? Um, particularly for these protracted crises, which are usually the result of something smoldering that's been going on, um, and and either undetected or unreport underreported um, up until a, a particular point. It's um, you know, how do you how do you insure against that? Like, who pays for that? You know organizations you know we're so tightly wound financially um we don't have a spare couple hundred thousand dollars or a couple of million dollars sitting in the bank for fines you know we can't necessarily insure against it um you know rising costs are impacting all sorts of businesses and the resources Um, the resources available to businesses particularly personnel are so finite i think it's you know how how often do we talk to people and we say hey hey mate how are you and they go i'm so busy right now you know, at what point do those busy people have to then say, I can't do my busy because I'm so focused on this crisis event? There's going to be impacts to business as usual, to those day-to-day activities that have to continue. Well, and, and that's what it does. It, it manifests into, okay, we're now talking about well, how do we recover? Mm. But the lights are still on, the IT is still working, yep. but we're dealing with a crisis. You know, our customers are calling, so we get inundated with phone calls through our call center. You know, we've got, you're a financial institution, deposit taking, you're getting a run on deposits, you know, so you're now, you know, flexing your liquidity. Like there's this whole range of things that happen. And we've exercised, you know, everything from liquidity with financial institutions right through those smoldering. um, It it could be a resource sector or manufacturer who knows about a a safety concern, Mm. who doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, that could result in some in a fatality. The fastest way to jail as a director or an officer of an organisation is through poor work health and safety. Yeah. And that, that's something you cannot insure against. You cannot transfer that to someone else. If you are an owner or an officer within an organisation and there is a significant safety issue um, that, you know, is known um, and, and there's a lot more legalities behind that, but 
if something wrong happens on your watch and someone dies, um, and if you knew about it or did nothing to prevent it, fastest way to jail. And I think we've seen that in some really high profile events over the last, well, it's almost the last decade now, but it's particularly over the last sort of six or seven years. Um, Dreamworld is, you know, the incident, the tragic incident in Dreamworld back in 2016 is a perfect example of that. When the investigations that, that, that came out of it all spoke to, you know, the failure of health and safety and these ongoing systemic issues that, that contributed to what happened on that particular day. Um, yep. Which and, and you talk about a small crisis. The worst that anyone put yourself in that border in that afternoon. Exactly. Worst, worst imaginable situation. Yep. Um, and then having to front the media for that, mm-hmm. let alone the, the you know everything that goes with it. And we all know about that story, but um, it's it's it should be scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's not cyber related. It doesn't have to be cyber related. This is before you're dealing with other events. You get smoldering, yeah. smoldering event happening, and then and then a big, major, here and now crisis happens. You're the culprit, and you have something that you know. If you're a unionised workforce, that could result in protests. Mm-hmm. You know, the unionised workforce, you know, walking out or you know doing union activities, um, it could revol- result in just staff resignation. Yeah. They could absolutely be disgusted by the activity and leave. It is something that does and should trouble organizations, but how do we prevent them? Uh, it, it comes back to, to good hygiene, like good work practices. You know, have we got a safe environment? Have we got, are we identifying our risks? Have we got controls? Are we monitoring those? Do we understand what those escalation processes are from the bottom up? Are we confident that if something happens at the tactical operational level, that we as a crisis team will, or an executive team will, will learn about it. Are we, are we trustworthy in business? Do we have values? Do we value integrity? Um, you know, we, we both come from, from service backgrounds, you know, and that is very much based on integrity and loyalty and, and trust. Um, we operate absolutely in that fashion as a business, but not everybody does, you know, people cut corners, you know, people shave things off. The, the smoldering crisis that's existing across a lot of the East Coast and, and nationally is around these these buildings that are being built, apartments that aren't up to code. Mm. You know, they're, they're leaning or they're cracking or there's all these different um, perhaps shortcomings in that industry or that setup. Now, it's not everybody. I know that. Um, but it's some people that are probably shortcutting things that they sh- shouldn't be doing. Um, that has the absolute... Um, makings of a smoldering crisis when something serious happens. Mm. I guess if we hear some other examples now, these do occur and they're often high profile. Um, Go back to to Boeing, you know, the the crisis that they faced with their their 737 MAX aircraft. Now, we find ourselves on planes quite regularly, um, but, you know, the the Boeing saw the the grounding of that, that fleet of aircraft worldwide while they made some inquiries and retrofitted and, you know, sorted their things out. But for that to occur, 346 people had to die mm. in multiple crashes. Mm. Um, what did that result look like for Boeing? Yeah, their, sh- their share price plummeted. Mm. Um, will they recover? Yeah, probably. Um, will people remember? They should. I know it's certainly on my mind when I fly in a 737-800 or, or whatever, you know, the, the model is. <laughs> 
You you are a virgin flyover, honey. So um, virgin have them in their fleet. Exactly. I, I fly Qantas and don't, and they don't at the moment. So it is always um, it is interesting, but um, we learn so much from the aviation sector in crisis management. Like if anyone asks me, and I use so many examples going back to the aviation sector, they are absolutely the benchmark when it comes to crisis management preparedness and learning from these events. Um, how we learn from them, but they have significant investigations, post-incident reviews at so many levels from regulators within the aviation sector, but the manufacturer, um, right through to, to the operating airline. Um, exactly. Even down to the airport, the, the local airport level. Yep. They keep it really, really simple. You know, something goes wrong in that cockpit. Um, the pilot is, you know, they're, they're, where's the checklist? What do I need to do? Because checklist brings calm, calmness to chaos. Mm. You know, we can actually start to work through methodically. Um, we see that pragmatic approach work in a boardroom, in a crisis room, because, you know, it can be overwhelming. There can be so much to get through, but a checklist actually changes your mindset. Okay, I've got a starting point. I know where I need to start. Once I start ticking a few things off, they might be really simple tasks at them at that point in time. But it changes that negative to a positive mindset. Okay, it's not overwhelming. I'm actually starting to make progress. Yeah. So that brings with it a positive mindset, which transforms into a positive mood within that within that room, mm. um, as opposed to the the leader of that room or, or participants in that room, you know, just lost hands in hand, you know, head in hands. Or just not knowing where, not knowing where to start. Your 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 response, your crisis meeting becomes a ongoing discussion. There's no leadership. There's no clear outputs or, or actionable items that fall out of it. It's just a discussion on, well, what's happening? What do we do? There's no structure to it. But the lessons management that comes out of the aviation sector, it's identify what happened. It's not straight out lessons learned because we haven't learned anything yet. Mm. We need to change something. And, and you know, I get on my, I'll say high horse about lessons management. It's, we don't do a po post-incident review and go, right, what did we learn from that? We haven't learned it till we've changed till we've it applied, and then used it again. Applied it and it, yeah. All too often I go, well, where are our lessons learned? Okay, great. That's that's great. But are we doing anything mm -hmm. about it? So we can identify lessons or things we should change. Then we go away and change them. And then we practice or rehearse it again. Um, and then we have learned. So we close that loop out. Then we have learned that lesson and we've made change. Um, that's where the aviation sector really does and has been doing it for many years, mm -hmm. closes that loop out. Unfortunately, the catalyst for a lot of their change does come through accidents. Mm. Um, anything from, you know, going back to, you know, major collision of two 747s, I think they were many years ago on the ground, I think in, in, in a European country or Egypt, um, multiple fatalities resulted in the implementation of ground radar. Mm. So air traffic controllers could actually start to see what planes were on the ground. Um, and their movement. So there's so many things that, that happen. Um, now, it's not a case that the businesses need to wait for it to happen to go, oh, okay, well, now we'll learn to respond because it can happen now. Um, are there warning signs trickling through your organization? How do you get that? Like have feedback, you know, open feedback with employees, open door policies. If someone's concerned or a whistleblower line, mm. you know, so you can internally catch those things early 
because I guarantee somebody knows about it, but they're probably not joining the dots. Yeah, or, or they they don't have the ability or the confidence to 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 pass the information on or pass the information up, or there's no there's no way of the organisation actually being able to join the dots when it comes through multiple different means, people, methods. You know, and look at the the way we work now. Like we're hybrid. You know, so many organisations are fighting to get people back in the office. So while people are remote, they, you know, have more time. They can ponder. They they might do things a little bit. There's no supervision in some cases. You know, that's often a challenge. We hear the junior workforce want to be in the office because they want to be mentored. They want to be led. They want to learn. Um, where you know, perhaps that middle run is happy just to stay in their role get up, roll into their office or their home workstation and, and continue that. Yeah. There's so many um, challenges. Well, just look at how often you and I, so you're Perth-based, I'm Brisbane-based, so we rarely are in person together, always virtual, and how often do we have conversations where one of us is saying, hang on, when did you, when did you learn about that? I'm only just hearing this now. And the other one says, oh, I heard about it last week or, or whenever it was, you know. And that's and that's not that's not a crisis. That's just general information that needs to be you know passed through an organisation. And and things that are mentioned you know in our Brisbane office don't necessarily always get yeah trans you know filtered to the WA office. A it might not affect us. Um, so you know those of us that do work in Perth, but again we've got a Sydney office now, and it's are all offices working the same? Yeah. You know, are we all singing from the same song sheet? And to be fair, I didn't know that the win- didn't need to know that the windows were being cleaned in Brisbane this week. But <laughs> thanks for letting me know. That wasn't me. Did I let you know that? <laughs> but anytime, I think it's important that we we keep you uh, abreast with what is going on in this office. You asked for it. We're just telling you. <laughs> um, but it, but it is it is um, important to to understand and ultimately, you know, how are we going to close close that out? It's you know. The, the tail is going to be, and we see how we close out those smoldering crises, you know, that can absolutely lead to change of leadership. Boards will hold executives to account. Shareholders will hold boards to, we'll account. to account. Government will hold organisations to account. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, it goes at all, across all levels. Like we've seen politicians resign due to events. Mm-hmm. We've seen executives step down. We've seen board members. We've been seeing whole boards being sacked. That was a Queensland issue only, you know, in the last six months. So it absolutely can bring about change. If you value your job, um, it is absolutely something you should consider um, and think about how you would respond. Um, Reputational management and understanding your your channels, your methods, having pre-approved messaging gets you some of the way, Um, but you're still going to need a playbook or a plan to get you the rest of the way. Mm -hmm. And with that, the capability of your people to, to enact that plan. Have the plan. Capability and then on game day, it's application. Exactly. Um, look, if you've enjoyed listening to Bryony and, and myself talk to you today, um, remember we are from Escalate Consulting. Um, if you want to contact us, you can contact us on our email at hello at escalateconsulting.com.au. Um, and make sure you subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Thank you for listening. See you next time.